Hey, it's Pastor Ted Fabianic here from Faith Love Church in Melbourne, Australia. Welcome to our podcast. We pray that when you listen to this, you'll be inspired and blessed to reach the best things that God has for you. It is such an honor to be here and to share the word of God with you. And Pastor Ted is in the very, 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 very top of Queensland, the very point of Queensland preaching, and uh, he's there with Pastor Phil Kennedy, and they're having an amazing time of just um, sharing the Word of God with the church there and with leaders there. So bless you as you take your seats. We are in for a treat today. Today I'm going to do a little bit of teaching, and I'm really going to focus on marriages today. So give me a hoy if you're married here today. Put your hand up. We're nearly all married, so I just felt God really speak to me about to have a faith household, you really need to understand how to have a faith marriage, and you need to have a good marriage. Um, Ted and I have been married 39 years. Everybody say 39. Some of you weren't even born. (laughs) 39 years we've been married, and we've learned what not to do. Okay, so here's, a, here's a, a, a wisdom for you. Sometimes it's not just learning what to do, it's learning what not to do. Amen, because you come from different backgrounds and different ideals, but you're also male and female, like you are so different. And so it's learning. Today I'm going to give you some keys, I'm going to give you and unlock some things, and I really believe this is going to be, a sh- there's going to be, a miracle happen in your life because all of a sudden you're going to see it. You're going to see something you've never seen before. And God's going to give you the ability now to flow with his spirit and it's going to be effortless. And you're going to see breakthroughs in your life. So let's just commit to the word of God. You know, I was prompted by the spirit to look for that scripture in 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, every scripture has been inspired by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. It will empower you by its instruction and correction, give and, um, which is the birth of God. It will empower you, uh, giving you the strength to take the right direction. How many here want to take a right direction? How many here in your marriages, you kind of been doing it the wrong way and you have no idea how to get on? Or what about maybe you've got relationships with your children and just it's just so difficult or you've got family or extended family diff- and you just, don't, you just don't know how to get out of the problem. Well, today you're going to learn how to get out of the problem. And this, today the Word of God is going to give the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the paths of godliness. That's what the Word of God does. The Word of God will empower you It will give you instruction, correction, and strength so that you know what to do. And I just believe that whatever the situation you're finding yourself in today, it will help you. (sighs) I love it. I love it. When when God speaks to me about something, I'm like, I'm floored because I sit there and go, this is just for me. This is so powerful. But today, it's for all of us. The Word of God is for all of us today to help us. So we're going to open up our Bibles today. How many here have got a Bible with you? Maybe it's on your iPad. It's on your phone. Maybe it's 
something in your hand. I would recommend every single person get a Bible and mark it and write in it because of the tactile nature of it. It's important for you to write the Word of God. It's important for you to engage the Word of God. So we're going to go to Genesis 1. And as you turn to Genesis 1, it's the very first chapter of the Bible. I'm just going to pray and just thank the Lord for his presence. Father, we just thank you for your presence here. We thank you that you are in our midst. We thank you that you've done everything for us. We're not waiting for something because you've already done it all. But today we want to walk in and experience it. We want the word to be fleshed out in us. We want the word to become alive in us, to instruct us and teach us so that, Lord, we can make right decisions and we can make life become a joy in our marriages and relationships Father, our joy. And so today we just yield, Father. We yield to your Holy Spirit. We put it out, put away our preconceived ideas. And Father, we just come and we feast at the table that you've prepared for us around your word. And we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. So let's turn. I'm going to put it on the screen for all those who are lazy and don't have their Bibles, right? But I'm going to turn to Genesis 1, 26 to 27. Let's read it. And then God said, let us make human beings... Adam in our image to be like us and they will reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along on the ground so God created human beings in his own image in the image of God he created them and he made them male and female he created them then God blessed them and said be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and govern it now, from this passage, it's very important that we understand a few key things. That it took, that people, human beings, men and women, were created godlike, reflecting his nature. And he saw it and he blessed them. He approved of their male and female. All right? So God made Adam, but inside Adam was Eve. So as you read between Genesis 1 and 3, you'll see that God created Adam in his likeness. Man was created with God's nature. He was approved by God. And it takes man and woman to fully represent the God nature, the God likeness. Woman was not an afterthought. She was Adam. She was Adam. That's what the Word of God says. So you have... If you can imagine Ted and I, we're Fabianics. That was our name, Fabianic. So Adam and Eve, their name was Adam. So it's very important you understand that women were not an afterthought. Verse 26 says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over let them, he created them and gave them dominion, gave them an assignment. He gave them the whole earth to govern and look after. Genesis 5, let's have a look at the next scripture. Genesis 5, 1 to 2 in the Amplified. This is the book, the written record, the history of the generations of the offspring of Adam. When God created man... Adam, the word man in Hebrew is Adam. He made him in the likeness of God and he created them male and female and blessed them and named them both Adam, man, 
at the time that they were created. So it's very important that we understand we have Adam and Eve and they were created Adam. That's their name. Adam and Eve, that is their name. And have a look, it's, it's fascinating. In Ephesians 4.32, it says, Marriage is the beautiful design of Almighty God, of Almighty God. Let's have a look at the next script, uh, script, uh, slide. Sorry, The seven aspects of ma- marriage. Now we start to have a look. And I've got them up there for you so you can take a photo if you want to. But let's capture what this garden environment looked like. Mankind was in charge of everything. Man and woman, Adam, were in charge of everything. This charge was given to both male and females. They were given a full authority over the whole earth. They were to be fruitful and multiply, replenish, subdue and have dominion. It's their five-fold assignment together. Their oneness truly represented God as co-rulers, as co-subduers, as co-fruitfulness, as co-workers in the earth. They were working together. The first aspect of God's original plan was Adam and Eve, was to have this relationship called marriage. And he gave them to be co-labors and co-rulers in their assignment and to use all the vast resources together. Genesis 2.18 says, The woman was formed out of man. Literally, God opened up and went in and he took her out. And so there was a void there because he took something out. So there was, a, there was something missing. And the Bible says that she, she was taken out of, and she was created and made a helper for him. And the word the helper means to be suitable, adaptable, complementary. The whole idea there is to aid, to support, to be complementary, to be harmonious, to enhance, to surround, to succour. And the whole thing there is to be a helping hand and to, to back and to also provide guidance. So we see, what did he take out of him and then create her with? Is something that will complement him. The Bible said that once he had formed her, he brought her to her to complete and fill the void. So instead of what it was within him, now he created this woman and brought him to him to complete, to fill the void. It's literally the word there is... If you can imagine, if if you needed to go in the kitchen to get something, right, and you opened up the fridge and you went into the fridge, it's it's that whole entering in. When he brought Adam to uh, Eve to Adam, he entered into her, and he was complete. So it's really interesting because now we start to see how God, in the original context of the garden, created Adam and Eve. Right? He brought her to Adam to fill the void. And it says there, so that he could hold on to her and stick to her like glue. Stick to her. Right? Because, and I will bring out a little bit more in a moment. So the idea was that God brings her to him and he sticks himself to her. 
like Velcro. How many have ever had a dog that's like Velcro? And it doesn't matter what you do, you can't get this dog off you. But it's like this kind of sense of he stuck to her. Adam and Eve ruled over everything together. And you know what was amazing? When God brought Eve to Adam, he said this. This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman, which literally means womb man. Womb man. She, she has a capacity. He took the womb out of man and placed it in the woman. She now becomes the womb man, the woman, because she was taken out of man. Woman is the extension of his body, kin. She's one body. It's his body. She's the body. She's not like this independent person. She's his body. Adam did not say that she was his servant, but his flesh. It's his actual flesh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. God's intention for marriage is not to rule or subdue or to have dominion over each other, but rather marriage is a dependence and fellowship with God and together they become one flesh and they co-rule together. This relationship bears the image of God. Let us make man in our image. No competition. In the Godhead, there's no rulership over one another. There's no dominion. It's a, it's a one body, one flesh, intimacy. It's one bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. So the garden was an amazing place because what happened every evening, the voice of the Lord came, the presence of God came and they fellowshiped. Adam fellowship with God. Adam, male, female. Adam fellowship with God. Adam came and had, had time with the Lord in the presence. For Adam and Eve, the garden was a place of worship, a place for obedience to their assignment. Now they had to tend to the garden and they were, they were very much in, in a place of incredible blessing each evening. His presence and his voice could be heard. And as we read in Genesis, there comes a moment when everything changes. And through the deception of a satanic being, Adam and Eve, they commit high treason against God. They disobey his word. He gave them one word, and that is, of every tree of the garden you may eat, Adam, Every tree, but of this one tree, you are not to touch it. And the serpent comes and beguiles and tempts them. He begins to speak to them. And they listen. And they committed high treason. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good in evening. And it caused a disastrous, life-altering result Sin birthed within them and spiritual death caused separation and fellowship and intimacy, caused the separation from God. The intimacy was tarnished and they had ex- that, that they once knew an experience with God. But not only that, let's have a look at, at our next line, Genesis 3.8. When they heard the voice of God, 
they hid. They hid themselves from his presence. They hid when they heard the voice of God in the garden. They hid themselves from his presence. Can you imagine what took place from them every afternoon, every evening, waiting for the presence, waiting for the voice. And now when they heard it, they ran, they hid from his presence. The word treason means to a crime of betrayal or betraying someone and attempting to overthrow sovereign or government. They committed treason. God commanded them not to eat, and they did. They committed high treason. They betrayed. The action of betraying is someone showing allegiance to someone through an act of betrayal. And allegiance means this. By their actions, they committed treason towards God, and they made an allegiance with Satan. Now, this distortion of relationship not only touched their relationship and marred that relationship with God, but with each other. In the garden, they were in communion and dependency on God. Luke 3.38 says that, that Adam was God's son. So now you have an issue where the son betrays the father. The son, Adam, betrays his father. He now becomes independent. He now makes and sets himself up as his own God. And he's going to supply his own needs. You know, in that garden, there had never been any demand on each other. But now we start to see the fruit of this fall catastrophic fall the fall was for all mankind and in a, in a darkness we could not understand we couldn't ex, we cannot we, they could not experience uh, understand or had they ever experienced such darkness they experienced rebellion willfulness hiding shame blaming disunity before it had been none of that now where the bone of my bone relationship was there, now there was division, selfishness, looking out for them, their own selves. They lost the nature of God and they, re leave, they received the nature of, the, of the, their new allegiance, which was a satanic nature. Disunity. Can you imagine Adam and Eve, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, they were really into each other. They really loved each other. Now they see disunity. And the word disunity means disagreement, conflict, opposition, strife, friction, discord, conflicting, arguing, quarreling, differences of opinion, feuding. These are now become the nature of this fallen man. It was self, selfish in every aspect. The satanic nature was a nature of control rather than dependence. How far had they fallen? Adam and Eve, they cooperated with a satanic plan for them to be their own gods and they began to depend 
on themselves. And every man and woman born from them had the same nature. The outcomes of the fall of Adam and Eve was not only that their relationship with God was impacted, but their relationship with each other permanently was altered and they were now cursed. They had chosen not to live with the blessing and the glory of God. They had now chosen the curse which affected them and their offspring. Genesis 3:16 to 19, our next scripture. This is a really important thing that I want you to grab hold of. Distorted relationships. Now God comes to confront. He's confronting Satan, who beguiled. Now he comes to the woman and he, and he begins to address both, both Eve and Adam, the woman and Adam. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake and in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall it bring forth and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken from dust you are and from dust you shall return. So now God comes and let's have a look at the ramifications of the curse. So now they've entered into a curse in their relationships with each other and with their environment. There's something at work. There's an energy at work. The curse, the ramifications of the curse. In Genesis 3, 16 to 9, it says, the first indicator of the curse is the impulse to blame. It is, it is, it's the nature for us to blame. We see this fallen nature. The nature is now to blame. It was the evidence of the curse at work. The self-centeredness of the fallen nature now motivates each, each one of them. Now there's a motivation of saving myself. I become now my, I'm, the, I'm an advocate for myself. My allegiance is to myself first. And we see this in operation. The woman will continue to try to draw her life and nurture from the man. Now, instead of looking at God, dependent on God, now they're looking at each other and demanding from each other. Here's, here's, here's the woman demanding from her husband life and nurturing who was not capable, Adam was not capable of fulfilling these needs and never will be. In, an, in the NLT it, says, NLT, it says, your desire, your longing shall be for your husband and you shall desire to control your husband and he shall rule. So now we have a conflict happening in the relationship. Now, instead of co-working together, and ruling their environment, they now face each other and try to take out of each other and rule over each other, put the other person under. They want to rule over. Why? Because of the motivation of selfishness, the self-centeredness. 
rule, dominion, to marshal, to govern, to reign, to have power, to exercise dominion. These are what, what rulership means. Now we see Adam and Eve desiring to rule, to marshal, to reign, to have power over each other. And this is what the curse is. Instead of ruling everything, they now seek to rule and dominate each other. Either one is above or one is underneath. Each would demand love and respect and nurturing. And as time went on, they communicated this way of life to their children and their children's children and their children's children and their children's children. And our whole earth, our whole world has been taught under the system of this curse. This is how you do life. This is how you do marriages, relationships. This is how you go on. And they, are, they, they, they forgot. They were never to look for each other to fulfill life and provision. But it was God who was to be our source. There were some unwelcome consequences It's never been God's plan for man and woman to rule over each other. This is a curse. His intention has always been for men and women to to rule together, depending totally upon him and being his image bearers, as well as relating to one another. Sin entered because of rebellion, and sin is a very powerful and destructive nature. Its desire is destructive, domineering, and usurping. Sin makes Mankind, harsh, disagreeable, despotic, tyrannical in leadership. This is the curse. And how many, I've just seen it in the last week. You can see it. All of a sudden you start to see, oh my God, that, that's what this nature is. That is what sin is. This is the curse. This is this curse. And in, in, in the essence, I want to just pull out one word, the word there that, Eve would be craving from her husband is a desire and nearly an addictive desire to pull out of him whatever she can. And here we have now ruling. Adam will rule over his wife now. So now you have a, 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 a rulership and a demanding relationship. And these are the unwelcomed consequences of the curse. This curse is in full operation in some marriages. And there is a conflict of either being ruled over someone or being under someone. And it's a battle to to win control or to gain the upper hand and it just keeps going on and on and on. And this is what the curse, a cursed-filled relationship looks like. All aspects of control, whether passive or aggressive, carry the curse manifestation. Am I talking to somebody here? Because we can see it. And I remember in the early days of our of our marriage, we had made a commitment to Jesus, but we were, we were struggling with these forces within our relationship of who's leading, who's not leading, who's doing this, who's not doing that. And there's this conflict all the time. Who's better at this? Who's not better at this? And there's this dynamic at work, and it was so confusing. Why? When we 
the reason why we got married is because we love one another. And yet we find this conflict, this Romans 17. I do the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I should do. There's a conflict at work. There's a conflict at work. And we see this manifestation. There's only going to be losers in a relationship where the curse is at work. When we place our lives over another person, we enter into a cursed relationship because there's no grace. Living under the curse is exhausting and the fallout is misery, brokenness. So what? let, let me just pull out an acronym on our next slide, the manifestations of course. And just remember this. I want you to put these five words down and you will know when you're operating out of a, 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 a cursed um, nature. The first one is controlling. When you're wanting to control, this is, or this is a manifestation of a curse. It's my way or the highway, controlling or over-managing others, correcting all the time, taking charge, manipulating, using legalism, even using the word. Don't you know what the word of God says? What does the word of God say? You know, Ted used to laugh because we'd read marriage books and he'd underline all the parts that he wanted me to do and give them to me. And they're the only parts I never read because I'm like, I'm not listening. Why? Why do we find this conflict? Because we know inherent within us something is wrong. When we work in that operation of control, it is wrong it, and it births death. It births conflict. It births strain in our marriage. We can't use control because it's a manifestation of the curse. 1 Corinthians 13.5, really encourage you to read it in your own time. Love is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmanly, and it does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful and, or resentful. It takes no account of evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. When we are controlling, we are in complete opposite to the very new nature that God has placed within us. And I'm going to assume here that everyone here is a believer today. The nature the satanic nature, the old nature, the old man, that satanic nature sits at the, the door. What did God say to Cain? He said, sin lies at the door, but you must master it. You do not give it any power. So we have to understand that. So a manifestation of a curse at work is the, the controlling desire to control others. Unforgiving, number two. So C, and the next one is you. Unforgiving. Couples who bring things up that happened years ago, they have not forgiven. They have hardened their hearts. They hold it up. They've got their ammunition. And every time there comes a conflict, they're going to bring it up and they're going to bring it out and they're going to use it. They're unforgiving and it's part of control and it's this nature that comes up because I am self-protecting. Now you're an opponent and I've got to win at all costs. I'm either going to be domineering or I'm going to, and I'm going to use everything you've said because now, ha ha, I remember what you did. For some of us who have really bad memories, 
you know, we've probably resorted to writing a journal. This is the black book journal of all the things they did so we can keep a list, right? But I just, I know myself, you know, we'd have an argument. I'm like, I have no idea what we're talking about now, you know, because it's like, switch off, you know. And, and for us, it's like, how do I get ammunition, you know? How do I bring something up, you know? But that, because that's a nature and a manifestation of the curse within us, unforgiving. Un- and unforgiveness become, can become an effective tool of control. But you know what? God has not caused, called us to do that. He wants us to walk in the light. R, for reactive. When a relationship is cursed, there's, they don't know how to respond. They just blow up. They react to everything. Their harshness um, and disasters happen. Reactionary. Never sitting there and just listening. Reactionary. There's no patience. There's no love, there's no forgiving, there's no slow anger, there's just iciness and there's vindictiveness and I'm going to get my two cents, two pound, my two ton worth out of this. That is an evidence. S, shame. Shame is the belief that you lack value as a person, that you are defective and worthless and unlovable. It's not simply that you're behaving wrong but that there is something wrong with you. Shame can be used by people as a means of putting themselves over others. It's superiority. And that is actually a manifestation of the, of the curse. Shame. And it's also used to control the behaviour of others. If, if people just knew what I know about you and I told them, so we put them into debt and we shame them, and we use it as an arsenal. We use it as a weapon. And that is a manifestation of the curse. Shaming is used also to, to, to increase a sense of unworthiness, guilt, motivation of change. can sometimes be the manifestation of fear. Rejection again and again. First Corinthians 13.5 says, love does not traffic in shame and disrespect. Shame and disrespect. The last one is ego, is self, self-drivenness. Very core of the satanic nature is selfishness. If the curse is a driver of relationships, then selfishness is at the very core when someone places themselves over or manipulates another. And Philippians 2, 3 to 4 says this, in the Passion Translation says, be free from pride, sorry, be free from pride-filled opinions. <laughs> Just stop there for a minute. I know, I know, wait, hang on, I know better. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my two cents in here. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only earn you cherished, they will only hurt your cherished unity. Do not allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in, be, have, but in authentic humility put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. 
possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interest. And Jesus was this perfect example because he emptied himself of all of who and what he was. And he humbled himself and he was obedient. And that is the nature of Jesus Christ. It is so powerful that as believers of Jesus Christ, that when you receive Christ, you know what God does? He, he takes that dead, old, selfish nature, that demonic nature, and he destroys it and he kills it. And he puts within you and I a new nature so that we can have relationships and marriages and intimacy with people and we are no longer under a curse. And the Bible clearly says that we are to be, we are to, listen to the next scripture, Colossians 3, 6 to 10. I love it. We are to be clothed with the new self. Get used to it. Get used to putting off stuff and putting on the new nature. Do not lie to one another, for you have stripped off, off the old unregenerate self with its evil practices. Evil practices like control. Evil practices like reacting. Evil practice like unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is an evil practice. Self-centeredness, egotistical is, is an evil practice that you need to put off. You need to take it off your life. You need to stop allowing the curse to come in to your world and, have been, and clothe yourselves with the new spiritual self, which is ever in the process of being renewed and remolded into the fuller and more perfect knowledge upon knowledge after the image, the likeness of him who created it. We've been stripped off. That old nature has gone and we do not give it any power through our vessel any longer to speak, to act, to, to function. We put it off and now we put on the new. I love it. It's so powerful. I'm just about finished. Is anyone getting something out of it? Sometimes it's great to feel like you're getting really scrubbed down. How many have ever been to one of those really good places where they come in and they scrub everything in a spa or something and it's just like, whoa, because we live in a world that's driven by the curse and sometimes we just think we've got to go with the flow. Well, that's the way my husband, you know, that all the men treat their wives like that. All the wives treat their husbands like that. All the children, well, that's normal for children. It's not normal in the house of God. It is not normal to behave under a curse in the house of God. It's not normal. We have a new normal. It's not normal. It's not normal to have rebellion in the home. It's not normal. As believers in Jesus Christ, it's not normal. So we have to address these issues so that we don't give power to that old nature. We have been clothed with a new spiritual self. Romans 8, 8 to 9 says this. Those who are under the control of the corrupt nature cannot please God. But if God's spirit lives in you, you under the control of your spiritual nature, not your corrupt nature. Whoever doesn't have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. Now we can see that God has filled us completely, poured his incredible spirit in us. We have a new nature now we have, an inner counsellor. We have an inner witness. 
We have one who comes alongside of us and is with us in every decision we make. And Christ is now, he's flooding us with this new nature, this new way of living, this new self-life. And he is reversing the effects of the curse in our lives. It says that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit because we've received it. You know, God just didn't come a little bit and pour a little bit of the Spirit in you. He poured himself into you. Being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean quantity. It, it as, has a picture. I, I've been trying to teach myself a little bit about this, right? The word this is be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like when you go sailing. How many here have ever been sailing I want to go sailing. Anyway, okay, we all need to join a sailing club, right? So we can understand this principle. So it's the same principle apparently that planes use to fly. Everybody looks at these planes and they go, how do they get that 20-ton thing flying in? How many have ever thought about that? How do you get a plane up there? And then you, you're going to go to a, you know, New Zealand or something, you're thinking, this better not fall down because we think about gravity. <laughs> but... In a boat, it is not the wind that pushes the boat, the sail. It's not the pushing. When they set the sail in, the wind goes around and you're drawn by the wind. So do some homework, right? All you smart people out there needing me to help because I'm trying to get my hand it. So the picture being filled with the Spirit means that you place yourself in such a yieldedness that the Holy Spirit, he can do what he wants with you. Here's a conflict and you put yourself, and I yield to the Holy Spirit and he's like, be kind and loving. And you, draw, you get drawn by the Holy Spirit into a situation where instead of you stirring up my rights, well, what about my opinion? Well, what about how I'm thinking about this situation? In that moment, now, right now, I'm going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he draws you into a place of yieldedness. That's what it means. That the, your, your heart is, opens up, opens up, and then the Spirit is not driving you. The Holy Spirit doesn't drive you. What he does, effortlessly, you go his way. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now. And it has a picture of now. 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 Something comes up at home. Now. I yield the Holy Spirit. Show me what to do. Forgive. Love. Defer. And that whole old nature of either wanting to be over or try to how, how do I how do I do this by being under, I'll manipulate in one way or the other way, God, totally goes. And now we have a spirit of sonship, a submitted spirit to the Holy Spirit, and we yield. That's the picture there. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is not related to quantity. It means to be permeated, to be totally covered, thoroughly. It's, the, it's this... No, there's no pressure from the Holy Spirit because you yielded. There's no pressure. You don't feel this 
And I think so many of us don't understand how to live in the Spirit because we're waiting for Him to push us into doing something. That's not how He works. He wants you to yield and go, I'm doing it your way, Lord. What does your word say? It says, love. And now I can love. And I'm not stirring up this old demonic nature of the curse. Now when I have a conflict, guess what? I don't get baited. I don't start manipulating. Guess what I do? What does God's word say? I'm going to do it. And guess what? You start doing it. And you think, how am I doing this? And you just yield. And it's like, oh my God, it actually really works. And the result of it is righteousness, peace, and joy. All of a sudden, your home is full of joy. Your home is like there's no conflict because you're yielded. And now, you know, the boat's The wind could be going this way and the boats are going that way. All your circumstances at home could be conflicting this way. And guess what? You're just sailing in the opposite direction. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says, and then you can sing psalms and hymns to one another. And you think, what? Well, before, if if you don't do that, if, if, I, if, if we, we start to have conflict and we start to say words and we get angry and we give the ultimatum, I'm going to put my foot down. If that happens again, I'm walking out of here. So now instead of all of this and putting up and I'm getting my own bank account and I'm going to move into the other bedroom, guess what? You're just flowing with the Spirit. You're moving with the Spirit. Can you see that? And that's how you have godly relationships because marriage is God's idea. Marriage in the home is God's idea. It is is almighty God loving us, loving each other because we're yielded to his spirit and it's effortless. And we don't go back to the old works, the old curse, the old nature because we have put on the new nature. And guess what happens We hear the voice of God afresh in the garden. We come back to the garden. Guess what? Both husband and wife, (laughs) now we hear the voice. And then his presence come and we're both together. We're co-laboring together. There's no disjointed. There's no competition. There's no, it's just us and him. Let us make man into our image. Now it's us. It's him, it's us, it's together and we stop the conflict and the fighting. So husbands and wives, I really encourage you, meditate on this message, meditate on the word of God and understand that you have received a new nature. Let's get the worship team up here. We're gonna come in for a close. I took a little bit of time, but I really felt that for us to understand what spirit are we moving on? In our lives, what spirit is coming out of us? When there's conflict, do we stir up the old nature because it was familiar? No, no. That died. We have now got a new nature and we need to yield to the spirit and begin to allow the grace and the love and the mercy and the kindness of God. I've got my first person down to the altar call. Do you want to give Jesus a big high five? Yeah, I do. I love that. How good is God? Let's stand together. And I just want to bless you. Thank you, Jesus. 
Father, I just thank you for every person here, Lord, that you've created us in your image and in your likeness, Lord God. And we all fit in your family and we're all part of what you're doing. Father, I just thank you that you've filled us with your nature. We have received a new nature, not a corrupt nature, but a nature, Father, just like Jesus. And today, Lord, Father, we choose you. We choose to do it your way. We choose to do marriage your way. We choose to do life and parenting your way. Father, we choose you. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would touch every marriage, Father. I just pray that forgiveness would flow today, that control would go, Father. Strife would go. Father, selfishness would go. And Lord, we would put on Christ and allow that Christ anointing, Father. And Father, I just pray for an awareness to come over every single life here that as they walk out of here, that every moment they step out, there'll be an awareness of the new nature that's within them. And in that nature, Father, they'll begin to move and live and have their being in the mighty Name of Jesus. Let's give the Lord a hand.